We've been fighting a long time, and we have all lost so very much, so many loved ones gone. But you are not alone. There are pockets of resistance all around the planet. We are at the brink. You have no idea how important you are. If you're listening to this, you are the resistance. Hey, welcome everybody. It's Steve with Sus Fidelia. I'm coming at you with another book review with Father Thomas Crean, Dominican, in England, across the great pond of God is No Delusion. Now, there's a different title overseas. I can't remember what it is. Father will tell us what it is. But, Father, appreciate you coming on and uh, welcome. Thank you. You're welcome. Yes, I think in English, it's quite an old book now. It was about 10 years ago, even a bit more. In English, it was called. In England, it was called uh, "A Catholic Replies to Professor Dawkins," but this was, I think, deemed not quite punchy enough for the American market. So <laughs> a much better title. Yeah, Dawkins got his name in small print on the thing. Where I guess England's bigger. He's more of a fan out there, I guess. <laughs> yeah, so he was very, he was very much in the news for uh, a couple of years. I mean, that's why I wrote it because his book was really being publicised and it was being put into their shop windows. Of, all the big bookshops. So, uh, what? Uh, why is that? Is he just that influential out there, or, or is it? I know he's one of the four horsemen of the new atheism. Yes, I'm not quite sure why. I suppose because um, he's uh, he's quite outspoken uh, and that attracts attention. And he, he had a had a professorship in Oxford, so he's obviously quite prominent. And uh, I suppose that combination of being an, an academic in a, in a big university and being uh, quite violently outspoken uh, is quite rare, so it, it strikes the public imagination. <laughs> so what 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 was what was the gist, or uh, why did you think of writing a basically a refutation to uh, what Dawkins is saying? I'm sure you're not alone, but what 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 stimulated you to do it? No, I wasn't alone. Um, uh, I might be the only Catholic response, I'm not sure, but there were certainly one or two others at the same time, because as I say, it was being so publicized. Uh, well, that was really what what um, what stimulated me. My uh, my uh, my religious superior at the time uh, was encouraging me to do some to do some writing, and uh, I was I think I, if I remember correctly, I was walking down to say mass at the uh, university chaplaincy in Cambridge uh, one morning, and went. Through the uh, the main street and saw this the main bookshop in Cambridge uh, selling this book called the God Delusion uh, and highlighting it as a, the main the main attraction in the, the shop window and I thought you know, someone needs to do something about that and uh, I've, I've got some time to do that so I'll, I'll, I'll try so that's how it all started so is this a basic like uh, uh, what Thomas Aquinas would say in refutation of his arguments or uh, yeah, it's quite it's quite um, standard Catholic apologetics in a sense, and that I I cover the arguments for say uh, belief in God, belief in um, uh, Christ, His resurrection, His divinity, um, but it's it's structured by uh, a series of responses to Dawkins's claims. Now, Dawkins wrote this really big book. I don't know how many hundreds of pages it is. 
and it's and it's not very well written. That's not just me saying it because I disagree with it. Uh, you know, atheists can do really good work, uh, but you know, I could have written a much better book attacking the Catholic Church if I wanted to, um, and lots of people could. But he just didn't really seem to have enough patience with um, with the church to actually uh, write a very good book, um, and so he he sort of has a series of rather feeble arguments for atheism and rather lazy, tired slurs against religion and the church in general. So you know, saying that saying the God of the Old Testament is is clearly uh, you know, bad and uh, that the miracles are implausible because you know we don't often see them and uh, um, that the resurrection never happened. That probably uh, people got confused or that. Um, that our Lord uh, uh, was confused when he came to be God and things like this. Uh, so my, my book's a series of, of, I think about 10 chapters in response to these, uh, no, it's, uh, nine chapters in response to his various claims. Yeah, I've heard that before that the old, if, if it was like old and new atheists, the old atheists were embarrassed by what the new atheist arguments were, not even a, a philosophical position that they were using, just mainly like emotional arguments and things. Yeah, well, I think it's a good example of a common problem of academics going outside their own field and looking rather foolish. Uh, so obviously Dawkins's field is biology. He's an he's a evolutionary biologist. Um, and he's, his field is not philosophy. And it's certainly not theology, but it's certainly not philosophy either. And basically he's only got one argument for atheism in his book. I mean, he's got lots of slurs and sort of um, uh, jibes and insults and that kind of thing. There's really only one, one argument for atheism as such. And this is just the argument that, um, uh, uh, that complex things come from uh, less complex things uh, and that God uh, or creator of the universe must be really complex because you need to have uh, uh, a big, very big brain to do difficult things like um, uh, you know, create dandelions and uh, seals and that kind of thing. Uh, or that you need to, have, if you're a computer, then you need to have lots and lots of uh, uh, circuitry to run complicated programs. So in other words, he's just thinking from the beginning like a materialist. Mm -hmm. And um, he's thinking that uh, the more perfect something is, the more, compl more complicated, more complex it has to be. Uh, and that if something is complicated, then it can't be the first being. It must come from other things. So he's arguing that the idea of God is is uh, a contradiction in terms, because he, he supposes that God would have to be really complex to do all the things that are attributed to him, uh, but that also God would have to be the first being, because that's just part of the idea of God, that he is the first being. Yeah, I remember that part, that chapter, you call him a materialist on that because he brings up God hearing all these prayers of being like some kind of major circuit unit or something like this to be able to pull this off. I mean, this is what, um, I mean, this is, we're going really back to the history, the beginnings of the history of philosophy in at this, at this point, because one of the things that St. Thomas says when he's commenting on the history of philosophy um, is that the earliest philosophers and people came even before Socrates, you know, way back in the history of ancient Greece, he says that they were not able to rise above the imagination. And that's a really important point. They weren't able to 
to rise over the level of the imagination to the level of the intellect. And so they could only talk in terms of of material things, of things that can be touched and tasted and ultimately imagined. Uh, and so that's why the early pre-Socratic philosophers, when they were trying to say what the ultimate principle of reality was, they always came up with something material, like they would say it was fire, or that it was water, or that it was air. Um, and um, and Dawkins is is really gone back to the pre-Socratics. He's he's a biologist. He's not used to thinking about things that can't be uh, sensed. He's used to dealing with the material world, um, and that just shows from the very beginning in his approach to the question of of what God, what God could be. Have you had any responses back from people that read it? I had some nice responses from uh, you know, people uh, on our side, as it were. Yeah. Um, I don't think I ever really got a response from anybody attacking the arguments in it. Uh, I did once uh, visit the uh, the website of of uh, Professor Dawkins, and and there's a, a section devoted to uh, people who have attacked his book, um, and he, he's very. Uh, He's very kind. Kind. He, he refers to us as as parasites. So the idea is that you know, a parasite can just can only live on a on a on a living being. It's not it's not sufficient to um, survive except on a host animal. So so he thinks of himself as the so the independent animal. Uh, and these people <laughs> criticize him. Uh, and he thinks of them as parasites who are you know, trying to get fame and money <laughs> off his back. <laughs> He's probably made some more shovel working jobs than Obama did. Uh, <laughs> uh, what were some of the uh, what were some arguments that uh, for against atheism that you bring up that almost should be no brainers that maybe are refuted by people in modern society? Well, um, in a way, I think. I mean, I, I do. Um, go through a couple of the, the classic arguments for, um, for theism, uh, uh, which are, say, two of the, the famous five ways of, of St. Thomas. Um, and the first way, which St. Thomas thinks is the most obvious way, is the, the argument from change. Um, so the fact that nothing could be changing now uh, unless there were an, uh, an unchanging um, cause of that change. Mm-hmm. Um, so lots of people get confused about this this argument from change, and they think it's an argument against going back infinitely in time, and, and that's not what it's about. So Saint Thomas reckons that just by reason alone, you can't know whether the universe had a beginning. That's a that's a controversial thesis. It's not accepted by everybody, but. He argues very strongly that you can only know by revelation that the universe had a beginning. Um, so he thinks you can't prove that there's not an infinite series of, uh, let's say, of parents and children going stretching back infinitely into the past. Mm-hmm. You can only know that by revelation. So that's not the kind of um, argument that we're talking about when we talk about an argument, say, to the first cause. Um, what we're talking about in the argument to the first cause uh, is an argument against what's called a, uh, a per se infinite series. So I gave a, a simple example in the, the book to make this distinction clear. 
um, gave the example of someone peeling potatoes. Uh, I don't know why I chose that example. I, mean, I must have been cooking the, the dinner for the community that, that day or something. Um, so <laughs> if you imagine someone peeling us potatoes, then as St. Thomas sees it, he could be doing it for, he could have been doing it for an infinitely long time. And the potato peelers, they might have got rusty after a while. And when one got rusty, he might have uh, thrown aside and taken a new one. And he could have an infinitely big pile of potato peelers by now. I mean, uh, at least that's, that's a sort of um, simple example of, of the kind of infinite series that, that Aquinas allows. But if you said that in order to peel one potato, he had to turn one potato peeler, and that potato peeler turned another potato peeler, and that potato peeler turned another potato peeler, uh, and so on, and there was an infinite series of those potato peelers all had to turn um, together in order to peel one potato, then the potato would never get peeled because you'd, you'd never um, you'd never get to the end of that series. Um, so that's what's meant by an intrinsic or per se uh, infinite series, and that's what um, is ruled out by uh, by reason. That'd be a so heck of a lot of French fries too. Arguments. It'd be a lot of French fries. Yes. <laughs> uh, or freedom fries, you call them over there. No, it's French fries. Well, somebody might do it. I think they did that back in the early 2000s. They did the uh, freedom fries, <laughs> but it, that didn't last. Marketing didn't it last. wasn't a big thing. <laughs> but um, so that's I mean that is a that's what Saint Thomas calls the first way. I think probably the the easiest way, perhaps, or the most let's say the most convicting way, the, the way that perhaps makes most impression on people because it goes more to their own experience is the argument from conscience. So now I think, I think you can uh, explain this as one of the, the five ways, but um, it's probably easier for most people just to think of it as the argument from conscience. Uh, and so Cardinal Newman, for example, will make use of this argument. And the very fact of man's consciousness of being under a moral law that, that he's not created, and a moral law that would be there even if he wasn't obeying it, and even if his country passed a law to try to revoke it. Uh, so you know, I, I gave what I hope is a fairly uncontroversial uh, Example in my in my book that um, that parents should uh, uh, educate their children rather than boiling them in oil and eating them. Mm -hmm. Now, uh, it's just a, a fact of, of human consciousness that most people would say to you, uh, it's not just that I prefer to look after my children rather than boiling them in oil or eating them. Uh, I mean, sometimes parents might, might actually feel like boiling their children in oil. Um, and also they'd say it's not just that my country's got a law against boiling children in oil, but they were just saying it's wrong. And, and this is just something that's, that's wrong. And it's, it's the moral law. And uh, no human being can uh, eradicate it. No human being created it in the first place. So, it's, so I think this, it's this consciousness of being under a law, which is perhaps an effective way of, 
explaining the existence of God to someone brought up in a in a very secular environment because the idea of a law it necessarily carries with it the idea of a lawgiver you can't there's no such thing as a law uh, that's um, not um, got a lawgiver there and the idea of law implies personality behind it so as soon as you admit that there is such a thing as objective moral law then you can't um, except for the price of doing violence to your to your reason you can't deny the existence of of god let's say another reason why i brought i asked father for this i didn't tell him this but this is basically the root of what you see in communism is atheism it's the religion of that movement which we're seeing a lot more of atheism growing in our society the hate that you see in the streets and everything you're going on it's pretty much almost a direct line from this idea of thinking to what you're seeing in society today, right? Yes, well, I mean, precisely because people have this natural law that's written in their hearts, um, when they violate it, uh, they feel guilty. Uh, and guilt is an unpleasant emotion. And and the correct way to deal with guilt is, of course, is, is repentance and turning to God and making use of the, uh, the sacraments which he's, uh, he's given to us to, to free us. If you don't follow that route, then you want, you're going to want to get rid of it another way. Uh, and the other way is, well, partly is, is atheism. It's, it's denying that there is a, a lawgiver. But it's also denying that there is a moral law, so denying that you actually violated a law. And so the very fact of having violated a law because it makes you guilty, makes you feel bad, um, unfortunately gives you a motive to violate it even more seriously in the future. Because that's you know, a way of uh, trying to convince yourself and other people that there is no moral law because you're, you're violating it. Uh, because it's not there and so the fact that you violated it once makes you gives you an extra motive it doesn't just make you doesn't just give you a bad habit it actually gives you an extra motive to violate it again more seriously so you can prove to yourself that you didn't actually do anything wrong but of course that moral law is still there so it's just gonna make you feel more, more guilty so it's a vicious cycle mm. um, and of course um, with, with abortion for example I think this is a one of the reasons why abortion becomes such uh, it's, it's becomes so ingrained, it's so hard to root out because it's a way in which people violate a very fundamental moral law um, and feel guilty about it and then deal with that guilt by uh, denying with great vehemence that there was ever a law there in the first place um, so th this is a terrible, a terrible uh, cycle, a terrible vicious cycle, and, um, and the only way out of it is to is to turn to God and to believe in the mercy of God. And this is why it's so important for uh, preachers to uh, both preach the reality of the moral law and the fact that you know, things like abortion are are sins. Uh, and the fact that God's mercy is greater than all sins, and mm -hmm. all sins can be forgiven. What 
what have you told people that have, say, like an atheist person came up to you, giving you blah blah blah? They see you in the casting, uh, or they see you, they see you in your uh, your clothing, and they go, uh, they just go after you, start yelling. What has been an effective way of uh, combating that, or let's say evangelizing them, or leading them to a, a, an idea to to seek that their idea may be wrong? What has been effective for you in your per, in your life? Uh, well, that's a, a difficult question. Um, maybe because I'm in England uh, and English people are are temperamentally uh, uh, more oblique, uh, less confrontational than uh, American people. I don't know. I see Peter Hitchens on Twitter. He's just going to town all day. <laughs> well, he, I mean, yes, he's famous because he's unusual, I suppose. Um, you know, I mean, I... You know, I get I get strange looks uh, sometimes. Uh, I rarely get abuse as such, uh, and and people who engage me in conversations, say on you know on trains or something like that, they see me in my habit on a train, for example, or on an airport. Um, they don't tend to be people who who've got a grudge against religion and want to want to know why they should believe in God. They tend to be people who've got an interest in religion uh, and maybe want me you know, maybe Muslims even that want to try and convert me or uh, sometimes sometimes back lapsed Catholics I don't, I don't really get very much in the way of uh, Dawkins style atheists coming up to me and if, if I did um, well it would depend on what they say I, I would, if they were you know very hostile to the idea of God I would probably start by responding in the way I've just been talking about the idea of morality and trying to get them to admit that they did agree that there is that there is such thing as an objective good and evil that doesn't just depend on on the human will. Uh, if I can get them to do that, then that would be that would be a good advantage. I mean, sometimes they there would be people inclined to say that um, uh, no religion is is the cause of of all evils uh, or cause of cause of lots of wars, uh, and I would tend to say. Uh, or false religions are the cause of lots of wars, uh, and that would probably throw people onto their back foot. And that, I mean, that would force them to discuss the question of truth and falsity rather than just try and talk about religion as if it was one, you know, one undifferentiated thing, as, as people often do. Yeah, I remember hearing it was I think Clinton, or maybe he was quoting somebody else about the Crusades of blood up to their. Ink and blood up to their knees or something like that in Jerusalem. Going, yeah, the uh, the automatic bow and arrow that was a pretty deadly thing back in the day. Huh? Let's not talk about the automatic weapon that we have in the modern wars. <laughs> well, I mean, the, the Crusades are very, a very good example of of a of a long war being caused by a false religion. Yeah. So, you know, if the Islam had never uh, you know, come and tried to uh, take over that part of Christendom, then the Crusades wouldn't have been necessary. So, when I'm very happy to admit, to admit that that religions cause war, but uh, as I say, I'll just point out that it's the, the false religions that yep. uh, tend to do that. It's probably about eight years ago. I had a had a college kid come up to me to give me the crusade. I was doing street evangelization at a table where giving out medals and things, and this college kid comes up and starts bringing up the crusades. And he was about I don't know, I'm six foot even. He was about five three. <laughs> I could have picked him up and thrown him. And he's giving me junk, and I said, "Let me ask you something." I, if I start beating you to down to the ground right now, wouldn't you want somebody to help you? He goes, yeah. And I took a sip. I said, 
that's the Crusades, brother. <laughs> he he kind of got starry eyed and walked off, thinking I was nuts. <laughs> really, that's a shame. Yeah, there's this there's this myth of, of peaceful coexistence that was supposedly going on uh, for hundreds of years until until the uh, Christians decided to upset upset it by coming in from the west. But no, of course, that's not actually true. Um, what would you say to those that are listening about, uh, well, what are some good tips to study up to get better arguments? Obviously, prayer first, read the scriptures, meditation, etc. But for study-wise, what are some good tips for them to do, read books-wise, to have a better argument when proposed with these questions? Yes, well, it all depends on, on what kind of people you're trying to... Um you're trying to respond to with it. I mean, if you're trying to respond to uh, to atheists, then um, well, uh, I hope my my book is a is a useful resource. Um, the more scholarly level, um, uh, you know, Saint Saint Thomas Aquinas, the the his book, the Summa Contra Gentiles, uh, it's really it's a, an extended work of apologetics mm -hmm. that's directed against well all the possible errors that existed in his time and there weren't many atheists around but obviously he does consider the existence of god i mean it's a, it's a it's a difficult book it's not a book you can sit down and read in an afternoon uh and even if you spend a long time with it there'll still be quite a lot in, in be it a long afternoon understand <laughs> but there will be a lot of things that you do understand as well yeah. um uh so he, I mean, he's very good. Uh, older, older apologists in the 20th century, like uh, Lewis, C.S. Lewis, and Chesterton, and Ronald Knox, uh, all worth reading. Um, and when it when it comes to, say, uh, apologetics with Protestants, uh, the great classic is say Robert Bellarmine, and I'm really pleased that uh, Mediatrics Press are. Are translating that bit by bit into uh, into English. So his great work was called the Controversies, uh, and it's a series of of really detailed, really closely argued um, uh, discussions about the the hot topics between Catholics and Protestants, which uh, are largely the same now as they were back in the uh, the end of the 16th century when he was writing. Mm -hmm. uh, and then a modern writer, uh, I don't actually know how to pronounce his surname. Uh, is Brant Peter or Peter in in, uh, in the US and I think he's in Denver, and he does these really good books about the Jewish roots of, uh, mm -hmm. say, of the Eucharist or of uh, veneration of the Blessed Virgin Mary, um, or of uh, just belief in in the incarnation. I think in general, uh, and they they seem to be obviously uh, aimed at a Protestant audience as well, mm -hmm. uh, but unlike. Uh, Oh, and it, unlike Bellamine, they come from a, a deep familiarity with the uh, the Jewish background, the first century uh, Jewish literature and, and culture and so on. I mean, Bellamine was also very good that he knew Hebrew, so he could debate about um, the Old Testament texts at a very high level. Um, but I like these these books of Brown Petra because they uh, they really provide interesting uh, examples of the way Catholic faith is is Obviously, it's a transformation of Judaism, but it's a uh, it's um, as a continuous continuation of Judaism. 
at the well uh, as well. And sometimes they're really, really beautiful in surprising ways. So I was reading his book on, on the Holy Eucharist mm-hmm. uh, a few months ago. Uh, and you probably know that in the old, in the temple, there were, in the, not, not in the right, not in the very center place where the Ark of the Covenant should have been, but in the, the holy place just outside it, uh, there was a table with what's called the, the show bread or the bread of the presence. Uh, this is already, it's, a, it's an image of the blessed sacrament. Um, and there were 12 breads on a, on a golden table. And uh, this is not in the Bible, but it's mentioned by the two Talmuds that on big feast days, when there were big crowds coming up to the temple to worship, that the priests would actually go into the holy place uh, and bring, the, temp- bring the, the table out with the breads on it and raise it above uh, the heads so that uh, the crowds could see it. And they would say, uh, behold the love of God for you. So it's really, it's almost like benediction or exposition yeah. of the Blessed Sacrament in the Old mm. Testament. Yeah. Uh, and that's a wonderful example of uh, Judaism as the Catholic faith in embryo. So, I mean, for those who are interested in, in the Catholic Protestant uh, debates, I think he's a great, great resource. Very good. Yeah, I know. I even have a, believe it or not, don't crucify me out there in uh, YouTube land. I got a Protestant apologetic book over there called uh, Stealing from God. Uh, I can't remember the guy, the author. Sorry? Stealing from God. Huh. I can't remember the guy's name. Uh, very, uh, very good argument on there. I wish the Catholic, if, if there's a Catholic writer out there, hint, hint, father, <laughs> that wants to do one, <laughs> Stealing from God's church, <laughs> that might be a good one. Um, <laughs> That's nice. Oh, I've, I just remembered another author that I should I should mention. Um, so this is a really good apologetics book. It was originally written in, I think, the 1930s by an Irish bishop who emigrated to Australia called Sheehan. It's called Apologetics and Catholic Doctrine. Uh-huh. And then it was brought back into print and revised uh, about 20 years ago, I think, by an Australian priest called uh, Father Peter Joseph. And Baronius Press uh, published it again a few years ago. So... I really recommend that. It's called um, Apologetics and Catholic Doctrine by Father Peter Joseph. Now, the one thing it doesn't really have is um, discussion of the difference between Catholic faith and other religions. But apart from that, it's really got everything. So it's, it's got a lot for uh, debating with Protestants, debating with atheists, um, debating with Orthodox, and so on. It's a really good book. Very good. Well, Father, I appreciate your time. You have a couple other books, uh, Mass and the Saints and... Uh... Some other one with another Dr. Alan Finister, right? Yeah, so that's the, that's the most recent one, the one with Alan, uh, called Integralism. So you kindly uh, interviewed us about that uh, a few weeks ago, I seem to remember. And uh, mm-hmm. so that's the one in which we um, try and lay out what, what Christendom is, what are the, the eternal principles behind Christendom, uh, both the Christendom that was in the past and the Christendom we hope will be restored in the future. So it's, it's a work of political philosophy. It's meant to be an introduction to political philosophy for any student who's just getting into that discipline. Um, so I hope it will be useful for, for that purpose. Um, but it's written from a particular perspective, and that perspective is uh, the idea of Christendom. And so all the inter- all the various elements of, of political philosophy are kind of integrated uh, under that heading. Very good. All the links will be, be below in the show notes section if anybody wants to peruse his book or the other books and i got the website dialogus institute underneath as well where father is a 
uh, acting member with Dr. Alan Femister as well. And Father, yeah, appreciate your time. And maybe we'll do something else on another book you made later. Uh, it's been a pleasure. Thank you very much. Can we get your final blessing before we go? A blessing? Yes. Yes, certainly. Benedictio Dei Omnipotentis, Patris et Filii et Spiritus Sancti, Vishana Scupavus et Maria Semper. Amen. Thank you, Father.